Hello, Editor Josh here. Today's sermon is going to sound a little bit different. We had to relocate to our fellowship hall due to a medical emergency that occurred towards the beginning of the sermon. This individual was released from the hospital the next day and is doing much better. That being said, today's sermon was recorded using only my phone. So without further ado, here is Chad Cunningham giving us the second installment of our series on 1 Thessalonians. Enjoy. All right, let's pray one more time for Jerry, okay? And we'll get back. Lord, we are um, so glad that you are in control. My goodness. Um, so we pray for Jerry, and uh, we just pray that the EMTs, doctors, everybody involved would be guided by your hand. We pray for his uh, heart and his life. As in all things, we put uh, our lives in your hands, and we don't know. Lord, at any moment, what's going to happen? And so uh, it, it puts in stark reality uh, our need to continue to trust you, our need to trust. So we'll see a lot of that, Lord. So as we continue, Lord, to look to your word, we ask that you would help us refocus. Your word is eternal, living, active, gives us comfort. And so we pray, uh, we commit the rest of this time uh, to you. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds again to hear what you would want to uh, hear from us this morning uh, as we continue to look uh, at your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just to give a little peace of mind, I heard the paramedic say he's doing much better, he's conscious, he's talking, Good. they canceled further okay. uh, backup, so keep praying that he's good. good. Yeah. Okay, so I will try to, I will project my voice. I think everybody can hear me. We more technical difficulties, but uh, three aspects of the comprehensive nature of, or the reality of the gospel of God, and we're we're looking at the first one, which is found uh, in verse one through six. Uh, As you know, brothers, chapter two, verse six, that our visit to you was not a failure. As you know, um, as I was saying, you. If you had a pen and you were reading along as you've read this passage, you probably have seen that phrase, as you know, uh, for you know, surely you remember, um, you know. This is this concept, this know, it's the Greek word gnosko. It's a variation of that word used five times in this 16 verses. It's used 10 times in the entire book of First Thessalonians. Very important. You know, surely you know, verses 1, 2, 5, 9, and 11. This is a clear literary form that Paul uses to stir the Thessalonians to the memory of when Paul and his, his companions were with them. You guys know this. People have been lobbing false claims at Paul, his gospel, his motives, and his methods. And he's saying... Listen up. You know what it was like when I was with you. This is, to me, uh, one of the greatest uh, indicators that, as we saw in uh, Luke's version in Acts, Paul and his companions weren't with the Thessalonians for a short time. I believe it was at least three months or more. So it wasn't three weeks. You don't get to know people like this in three weeks, I don't think. It's very hard, right? So in my experience, as we, uh, to illustrate this, when we were looking to be a part of a church, we, we made it a point to continue to go to a church, to a body, 
to be invested in that body so that we knew that it, what it was going to be like for a period of time. We didn't just visit once or twice or three times. We invested time, for example, in coming regularly to Great Adventure. So we knew what was going on. We heard what was going on. We were seeing how KT was. We were seeing how the elders were. You were seeing how we were. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen up. You guys know who we were with you. That's important. As you know, our visit, so the, so the knowledge of this, this isn't just as we saw uh, in verse or chapter 1 where people heard of the faith of the Thessalonians. That's, that's big. That's good. This is firsthand knowledge. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit, the word there is isadom, that Greek word, it carries with it this idea of entrance <clears throat> or our coming to you. It's this idea of them reaching specifically out to this group. That was not in vain. That word that Paul uses there, kine, was not in vain. It was not fruitless or a failure. So you know our visit was not a failure. Both the message that they brought was full of truth, but also the result or the qualitative emphasis of that word is it was not empty. It had fruit. Their coming to them resulted not only in the communication of truth, but that truth had power to change things. We just heard, again, in that first uh, chapter of Thessalonians that the gospel power of, of God in the lives of the Thessalonians, that their faith was heard everywhere. The transformational power, sometimes we forget, this was an absolutely pagan city. This was not a Christian city. These were people who had listened by the power of God, were transformed, and their lives drastically changed. Drastically changed. So much so that the people tried to run them out, right? They, they're they, they did not like what Paul, Timothy, and Silas were doing. The, meaning the character of their ministry was and continues to be, so this is the perfect tense of gnosko, it continues to be real and courageous. You know our coming to you was not in vain. And it continues to be and bear fruit. This word usage and its repetition is an example of the deep concern that Paul has for the Thessalonians. You know, it's like saying to me, again, you know what I'm like. Somebody from the outside comes to you and says, hey, blah, 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 with such and such. And you're like, hmm, what's up with that? And then you can recall, oh, that's not what it was like when that person was with me. That's the idea here. You know. Paul and his companions came to Thessalonians in the context of hardship and suffering and pain. And this is the next piece in verse 2 to 6. Not only did you, uh, do you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure, that we had previously suffered and been, been insulted in Philippi, just as you know, there's that word again, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts 16. We've got to go back to Acts 16. Here's some his, this is some background that we need to understand what Paul's saying. Not only is he saying, hey, you know what we were like here. 
Let's look at what happened prior to Paul coming to the Thessalonians. Acts chapter 16. You all are probably very familiar with this. I want to just summarize this. 16, 11 through 40 gives us this pre-coming uh, experience that Paul and his companions had. So Paul goes to Philippi. He traveled there as was his custom. He goes to the synagogue. He finds a place of prayer. Lydia, by the power of God, responds to the gospel. He stays with her. <clears throat> then there's a slave girl that comes along. All right. She's demon-possessed, and she's telling the fortune. She's making her owners a lot of money. Okay? She's following them around, and that demon is saying, These men are the servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days in verse 18. And finally, Paul's like, dude, this is just bad. We're not having this. So he says, boom, the power of Christ, you're out. The demon is gone. And what happens? Those guys are like, whoa, the cash cow's gone. They get mad. They stir up the crowd. They take Paul, uh, Silas, and his group. They take them to the magistrates. They strip them, and they beat them. When was the last time any of us were publicly stripped and beaten? He was humiliated. His team was humiliated. Not only was he stripped, they were beaten. They were flogged severely. Okay? This is not a fun ordeal. Publicly stripped, beaten, and flogged. Thrown in prison, put in the center of it, in the place that's the most secure. The irons were put on. Jail was locked. In spite of that, we, see, we, we know the story. Paul and Silas, are, they're praying to God. They're singing. And the earthquake quake comes, and what happens? The gates go open. Everybody's chains fall off. What happens? The jailer's like, dude, I'm done. He pulls out his sword. He's ready to kill himself. Paul says, no, we're still here. We're still here. Don't kill yourself. And the jailer's like, something's different about these guys. What must I do? And the text says, they replied, look, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Eventually, you know the story. They were released uh, and were nourished. And then they were sent off on their way. Okay, so, so the, there's not a lot of time here. These, these men were walking, again, to, when he's, they're traveling to Thessalonica. This isn't a short trip. This is a three to five day trip. And they're still nursing these open wounds. This is what Paul is talking about. This is the context in which he's, their ministry took place with the Thessalonians. We had previously suffered and been insulted, beaten, flogged, stripped, jailed. When I was in college, we had student ministries. And one of those ministries was, um, I had a couple friends and, and a guy named um, <clears throat> Burton Guest. And he loved sharing the gospel and he really loved sharing the word to people who were in prison. So one of the, one of the ministries that we started uh, at school was called Least of These Prison Ministries. And so we would go to the, the, the jails in the city and we took a trip one time to the maximum security penitentiary, penitentiary in Texas called Beto One. Man, I'm what, 19, 20? All I have is this thing with me, my sword. And they break this group of us going into this maximum security prison. And they send us to one block, another block, and the next block. I walk through the door, those jail doors close, bam. 
and I'm looking two rows, three stories high of incarcerated people. That's, that's crazy. Jail is not a fun thing. This is suffering. And, and Beto 1 was maximum security. It had nothing, I mean, I'm sure the, the prison that Paul and Silas came out of was a lot worse than that one. But I'm telling you, the ability to sing and pray in prison is incredible. That's the context in which we see Paul and his group ministering to the Thessalonians. You know, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. In spite of strong opposition. For the appeal that Paul makes, and he continues in verse 3, uh, does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from man, not from you or anyone else. The suffering is the context in which he's coming and the appeal he's making. This word in the Greek is periklesis from what? The, the word periklete. Remember what that, what we remember that word is. Sounds familiar. Our helper. The appeal he's using here brings this idea of a favorable decision. He will, he will always do that in a gentle and persuasive way. So not only does Paul focus us on the genuineness, like they're coming out of suffering and continuing to preach the gospel of God, the comprehensive power of the gospel of God. They're doing it persuasively. He appeals to the divine. You know, God is our witness. Verse two, by or with the help of our God. Verse four, but God has approved us. We seek only the favor of God. God is our witness, verse five, and God himself, verse 10. Paul's appeal came not from error. The word there is planes, the Greek word. It's not from error. It's not from men. It came from God. It's not out of Greek, or excuse me, greed or self-seeking. It's not the word used for avarice, or greed. It's, it's the word that he's using here is the context is that it's, it's not a, he's not on a quest in any way for self-satisfaction. Okay, it's not greed for money, but he's not trying to persuade them to get anything from him. That's the more comprehensive word that Paul uses here. It's not out of error. It's not of greed or self-seeking, nor was it out of flattery. The use there is, is in that time, uh, many of the orders and the teachers would use flattery to get across a point. Paul's saying, this is not how we did it. We weren't trying to appease you in order to get a certain result from you. The point of all this is motive. Ask you a question. Who sets out on a course of action knowing full well that it will negatively impact their health, their future, beatings, hardship, jail time, slander? Who does that? someone who's been transformed by the comprehensive power of God. That's what Paul is saying. This is his motive. He knows full well. He's got people chasing him wherever he goes. So this is what he says when he says, we dared, he uses that word, we dare tell you this because his adversaries are continuing to follow him. No matter where his friends send him, they're going to follow him. 
Their wounds were fresh when they came to Thessalonica. They had just, again, been in prison and were on the run. In spite of that, they dared to proclaim the gospel. And all Paul did, he appealed to his great God, the triune God, for ultimate justification and the help in what he said, the truth, and what he did, his actions of living out gospel reality. Only the comprehensive reality of the gospel of God can explain such actions and the ultimate fruit seen in the transformation of the lives of the Thessalonian saints. So that's the first. We see the comprehensive power of the, of, of the gospel in Paul's um, visit and appeal. The second way we see this comprehensive power of the gospel is in his method and the maxim that Paul gives us. Let's look at 6 through 13. Verse 6. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden. All right? So there's already a first thought for you. There's contrast there. There's a way it could have been done, but they're doing it a different way. We could have been a burden to you. They had every right to do that. He appeals again to God. As apostles, they could have been a burden. But he's like, no, we're not going to do that. But, verse 7, he says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for his children. This is the first of the word pictures he gives us how his methodology, how he's working with people. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but or and our very lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. The first picture is a mother or a nursemaid of caring, of gentleness. Even in spite of what he suffered, he's coming to them with a gentle hand. Such great love and care brought them to a comprehensive posture of the gospel. They're, they're not just saying words to the Thessalonians. They're living those words out. Paul's method was to share life with people. Paul reminds them of how they provided for themselves through work as they or while they preached the gospel of God to them. Let's look at that. Surely you remember, verse 9, brothers, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. They were living examples of the gospel. Their method was gentleness. Their method was not only listen to us, watch what we're doing. This is the gospel. Verse 10. Verse 10 could be a summary statement for us. Verse 10 says, you are, you are our witnesses. Again, you guys know, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you uh, of those who believe. That's that's, that, that's, a, that's a summary statement of what, what Paul has just said. You are witnesses, so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless. For you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. Here's our second uh, uh, picture that Paul gives us of how they dealt. So his method is a part of his message. How? Gentleness as a mother. Caring. Things are going to get hard for them. He understands that. And he also, as a father, deals with his own children in this way. Encouraging, comforting, and urging them. He's urging them to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's our, that's, our, that's our theme verse for this chapter. Encouraging, 
comforting, urging. This is what a father does. Encourages when you're down, comforts when things aren't going too well, and then says, you can do better. You can live lives worthy. That's their method. As a mother, as a father. His appeal was to help the Thessalonians remember their behavior. Not just their words, but their behavior. Their lives were authentic. They worked hard. Their lives demonstrated and proclaimed the gospel. This living is our ideal. This living is our maximum. Not this or that, but both this and that. Living is proclaiming, and proclaiming is living. This is what Paul's saying. Actions and words. Both this and that. We know the gospel of God is real. It's comprehensive and transformational because also of their reception. Merited by, tes- by their testimony. Look at verse 13. And we also thank God continually because, of, because when you received the word of God, the reception of the word, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. If you were to read a little further in Acts, you would see Paul going to Athens and some other places. And if you read that through, you see that some places he goes, there's not a lot of fruit. He does the same thing. He appeals, he lives it, but the reception of people isn't necessarily the same. The Thessalonians received their message. When you receive the word of God and they accept it as the actual word of God, God enabled them to understand what Paul was saying. The word which is at the word of God which is at work in you who believe, they became imitators. The the power, the comprehensive power of the gospel of God isn't just a point in time decision. It is living and active in each and every one of you. The Thessalonians needed to be reminded of this. It is living and active. They received it. The Lord's uh, gospel changes lives. It's what we call that theological term, sanctification. That's the comprehensive nature of the gospel. For so long, maybe you're like me, for so long, I, I took the gospel as just being very narrow. Do you believe? Do you believe? That's the gospel. No. The gospel is, do you believe and as God works with you to become who he wants you to be? That's the gospel. Paul is talking to us about the comprehensive nature of the gospel. The word that was at work within them. He's encouraging them to continue in that work of the Lord. Christ in you. Do you hear the significance of that? Christ in you. The gospel continues to work. Third and finally, we see in verse 14 and 16, the comprehensive gospel of God at work in the ultimate end of Paul's adversaries. We probably could have started there. Sometimes for me, it's helpful to know that the end of things as I'm doing it. Um, But the suffering, uh, the challenges we experience, they pale in comparison to the reality 
that God's purposes are and will be fulfilled. Okay? Let's read this. For you know, brothers, we became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen. So they're experiencing the same thing that happened at Philippi. When people make a decision for the Lord, stuff happens. You're not going to behave the same way as culture wants you to, to, to behave. You got that? You should be expecting suffering. Okay, if somebody is, has given you a gospel of comfort, that's not the gospel of God. You should be living in a way that there's going to be suffering. You're not going to go out and look for it, per se. But because you're living a certain way and making choices, you're going to have suffering. You suffered from your own countrymen, the same things the churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displease God they displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Direct opposition to what God is doing. In this way, they, are always, they always heap up sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon, him, come upon them. Suffering because of the gospel should be expected, which is part of being imitators of the church. People opposed to God, whether pagan or otherwise, will be dealt with. That's a foregone conclusion. I think we forget that, though, saints, brothers and sisters. We know what's happening. You should know that God is winning and will win. Point in time, he's won and he's winning. That should change how you live. That's what Paul's saying. In light of all this, he's saying... The wrath of God will come on upon them. <clears throat> God is going to take care of all the things that have happened to you. Wah, 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 wah. Social media, wah, wah, wah. Social whatever. Go to nah, all this so hard. Put it in perspective, saints. I ask you the question again. What was the last time you were stripped and beaten in public? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm not hating on you. I'm just saying, look at the context. Look at the reality of the, of the beauty of what we get to live in. And we're not even getting close to the suffering of the New Testament saints. Could happen. Don't come to me or one of the others. Oh my gosh, what's so happening? No, you should be expecting this. Should be expecting this. This reconciliation is, is real. It's later on articulated by Paul, and you know this, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. It reads this way. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. You are required to reconcile. You forgive. It's hard. It sucks. Some of you know our story, the suffering that my family's gone through as my dad is a pastor for all my life, all the hardship, all the pain. I cannot hold a grudge because Christ has reconciled me. You too. You cannot hold a grudge. We have been, this message of reconciliation has been given to us and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors through God. We're making his appeal it through us. Paul appeals to Christ, but he also appeals to the message that he gives of reconciliation. That's the comprehensive power.
of the gospel of God. He experienced it. Paul experiences his got his companions experienced it. They committed to live the gospel of Christ, knowing that the wrath of God was coming, and as a part of God making the wrong things right, and those who oppose God will experience his justice. We can rest in the fact that God will deal with those who oppose him and the work he's doing through the church. So let's wrap this up. For Paul to the Thessalonians, and then to us. Gospel reality is living lives worthy of God who calls us. Did you catch that? He calls who? You. Personal. God loves you. He's called you. And because of this, we're to live lives worthy of God for his glory. Articulated by Paul, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Because of such great love, the comprehensive power of the gospel, that reconciled us past, present, and future, that should motivate us to emulate the Thessalonians, whose lives became known everywhere. Remember that? Chapter 1. Live lives worthy Live lives worthy through social and moral oppression. Live lives worthy in deep financial hardship. Make the decision you need to make if you're suffering financially. Make the right decision. Live lives worthy in the pandemic and all the fear mongers. Live lives worthy. Go about your business and live a life that people see, that people, when they see it, it's so different And when they ask you about the hope that you have, the gospel reality that you communicate will drip with honey sweetly from your mouth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to be changed by it. Thank you that you continue to work in us, that gospel work in us. And we ask, Lord, that you, you, you help us Continue to understand and embrace the comprehensive nature of your gospel. It changes everything. And that we can be completely assured of when we read about the gospel of God and it was, as it was communicated back then and as, with such power and relevance and truth that that same gospel is true. It, it is, we, can, we can bank our entire lives on it because no one would suffer the way that your people your called out people would. It it makes no logical sense. That's one reason why we can trust you. The examples of others who, in spite of all of what they suffer, they continue to share the love of Christ, that you reconciled us to yourselves, to yourself, and that we are reconciled to the world, that we have this ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Give us the ability to live our lives in light of this gospel in light of knowing that you are taking care of us, that you will right all the wrongs, and we take, inc- we take courage in that, Lord. We continue to worship you today as we interact with one another and as we break bread. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.